It's Wednesday, February 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Good to see you, man. Hey, good to good to have you in here. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, including yeah. some news from Warren Buffett. Uh, but let's begin with earnings from Priceline. Uh, fourth quarter earnings from Priceline rose nearly 12 percent uh, year over year. Uh, they blew out analyst expectations. They issued upbeat guidance for the next quarter. This is in stark contrast to, say, Expedia, which is a smaller company, but still kind of does the same thing Priceline does. Expedia did not have such a great quarter. Uh, what is Priceline doing right that allowed it to have this blowout quarter? Well, you know, that's an interesting point. I mean, I think it's for all of the attention that. Airbnb is getting these days because really, let's face it. I mean, that is where a lot of the attention goes sure. these days. Is Airbnb sort of the sharing economy? This quarter was a good indicator. The price line is just—they're doing just fine, and they made sure to let us know that. Um, it really is an impressive business, and I think we here domestically are probably getting to know Priceline a bit better now that they've sort of undertaken this big marketing campaign for Booking.com, and Booking.com is really the big money maker. Uh, for Priceline, that most people always just thought it was William Shatner. You know, that was the big money maker. <laughs> and, and be that as it may, I'm sure he hasn't heard the business at all. Uh, but Booking.com is really, um, you know, what's been powering this growth engine for so long. Gross profit up 23%, excluding currency effects. But really, what was impressive to me, and, and I think this is really impressive in the face of all of the success that Airbnb has had, because mm-hmm. let's be very clear. Airbnb has done very well. Um, it's not publicly traded, so there are, there are some things we don't know about it yet. Um, but but when you look at globally, room nights booked for Priceline uh, for Booking.com were up 27% over the same quarter last year, and and so that indicates very strong demand just based on volume alone. Right. Um, you know, there are no currency headwinds involved really with you know actual rooms, so we can see that there is a big demand for the actual rooms, and and Priceline has the biggest inventory on a global basis. I think it's more than 850,000 hotels now under its uh, under its umbrella there. And and that just continues to grow quarter in and quarter out because the network effects there are just so strong. Um, to me, I mean, I think you see Priceline success, you see all of the hubbub around Airbnb, you see businesses like Expedia, which. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a bit more lumpy than than Priceline, hmm. but they're still doing okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, and and I think you know TripAdvisor, of course, another big favorite here. I think all of this sort of lends to the bigger point that this is a really big industry, the travel industry, and and the internet has obviously disrupted a lot. Um, I think the travel industry is one that has disrupted more than than many. Hmm. And while it can be a little bit difficult to connect the dots sometimes and to sort of uh, you know who who is working with whom there. I, I think that um, travel, generally speaking, in some capacity, is something that every investor should have exposure to in their portfolio. Okay. Uh, whether you invest in individual stocks, if you don't, then you probably already have it. If you have you know an index fund or something like that. Right. But if you're if you're investing in individual stocks, I think everybody should have exposure to travel in some capacity. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and you've mentioned Airbnb a couple times so far yeah. already, and that is whenever we talk about Priceline or Expedia or any of these travel booking sites, Airbnb is the one that comes up because, like you said, the internet has disrupted so much. It seems like Airbnb is the natural disruptor for the travel industry. But as you said. 
good. Priceline's doing just fine on its own. Expedia, again, is smaller than Priceline. They actually just acquired HomeAway, uh, which is sort of a, a, a version of Airbnb. Yeah. Priceline doesn't really have anything like that, like getting people into someone else's homes, at least not that I'm aware of. Do they? Are there plans for Priceline to make an acquisition to get into that space? Is Priceline going to just try to keep on doing what it does best and hope that Airbnb doesn't eat its lunch? Like, What is Priceline's defense against Airbnb? Or does it even need one, as this Order indicates. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think it's it's. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to potentially answer it, and I think um, you know one of the ways is in looking at what Priceline and Booking.com are very focused on. Um, we saw now that business represents about twenty percent of their overall bookings. Really, uh, and as far as rooms go, I did not know um, that. Yeah, and and so what we're seeing from Priceline is a a greater focus on the business customer. They're mm-hmm. building out that Priceline for businesses. Uh, platform and really figuring out new ways to attract business customers because I think generally speaking, uh, business clients would be less prone to, to to go towards like an Airbnb option and, and more inclined to just go with a hotel. Right. Um, and that probably that dynamic will probably stay in place. I think for the most part. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Expedia buying Home Away and, and sort of focusing on that vacation rental. Um, TripAdvisor has that same dynamic in TripAdvisor as they move to instant booking, which is becoming more of like kind of like a price line, um, you know, where you can actually book those trips on TripAdvisor, the rooms on TripAdvisor, and Priceline and TripAdvisor are actually now working together on that instant booking process. Um, And so, Booking.com has made a lot of their inventory actually available on TripAdvisor's platform. Uh, which is actually a win-win for both parties. I mean, it, it is something that actually they mentioned in the in the Priceline call that they're seeing. It's it's very early days in the relationship, but they see you know good branding efforts there. Um, it's it's a very small part of the business today, but I, you know I think when you look at something like TripAdvisor, it's obviously a bit different because it's so focused on the reviews and the content. So back to Priceline, I don't know that they necessarily need to worry about sort of that Airbnb customer as much because I think there's room in this sandbox for everyone to play. I think that what happens ultimately, certainly Airbnb has offered more options for customers, for individuals like us. I mean, I think that right now it's a great time to be a consumer for a lot of different reasons, but I think that what Airbnb does it's going to force uh, hotels to up their game because really they're going to have to offer more or concede on some pricing. Mm. So it may not be the most attractive thing to be, you know, an owner of a hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the cost of business is going to be going up a little bit. Um, but you know, when you're uh, faced with either competing more or just going out of business. Uh, typically, you see the survival of the fittest, and there are winners, winners in the space. And so, I think there's room enough, there's room for everyone to play. Um, and I think that's really where you have to appreciate Priceline's sort of spot in all of this, because they're seen as sort of a great resource for all of these uh, hotels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to be able to get their inventory out there and, and to book it the simplest and easiest way. Right. Um, so again, big industry, a lot of different ways to sort of look at it. Tough to connect all the dots sometimes. But but I think generally speaking, um, you know, room enough for all to play. Gotta love room enough for all the play. Uh, I see the pun there. Uh, our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, actually just booked some <laughs> Airbnb spots out in uh, out in sunny Paris, out in Paris. Uh, uh, so he's a fan. Have you Airbnb'd before? You know, I I have not Airbnb'd. Now we have done. I think once before we did a homeway. Um, which was nice. It was you know just a house that we rented for a week, and that worked out fine. I mean, it was it was just 
my family there. I mean, I don't I don't know that I would want to ever go um, to a place where I'm staying in someone else's house and then have to deal with like you know either the owner of that house or other people there, kind of there being as there. Well, right. Like for me, I'm more interested in just kind of being able to pay for that luxury of of a hotel and being able to watch what I want to watch when I want to watch or go where I want to go and just knowing that my room is my room and I don't have a you know the the owner of the house really to deal with. Be a little with, more um, social, Jason. Put yourself out there. Stay, stop with the hotels. Go with hostels from now on. Hostels. I see it was a hostel. Sort yeah, of I mean, guy. I mean, yeah. there's that movie, you know, hostel <laughs> that really kind of just, just turned me off of hostels. It's true general. to life. I stayed in a hostel this past <laughs> week out in Iceland. It was it was just like that movie. Constantly, oh my, serial killers everywhere. It's insane. But now, I mean, in all seriousness, how mm-hmm. was that experience? Like, you didn't Airbnb. You stayed at a hostel. I didn't. I wanted the experience. I wanted the social ah. uh, connections with just you know people. Uh, and I wanted to try to put myself out there a little bit. So, yeah, we actually ran into several people who had Airbnb'd and then come to the hostel later on uh, for, again, that social element. Yeah. But, uh, no, a lot of people out in Iceland, airbnb I, th- I think, uh, amongst the younger consumers. So, I'm, I'm 27. I, I know a lot of 20-year-olds. Uh, we're all airbnb these days. Yeah. It, it's the hot new thing. I, I don't really look at the price lines these days. I look at the hostels and I look at the... Uh, I look at the homeaways and the Airbnbs because I'm looking for that unique experience. I'm looking for the social aspect. I'm looking for feeling at home, feeling at, like I belong in this new place, this new experience. And hotels, as you said, they're good, you know, for your own private space, but they're not very good at integrating you to the broader area of wherever you are. So I could stay in some, you know, in, in, in a chateau in France uh, with our man Dan Boyd behind the glass. Probably feel at home there as opposed to stay in some stiff old Marriott where I don't see anybody. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. Well, I mean, that's you know, I mean, I, I think you've you've hit on something that's very important there because while you're 27, you said or mm-hmm. something, so I don't have the luxury of being that young anymore, Mark. I'm 43, <laughs> unfortunately. Don't look a day um, over 42. You know, and I'm I'm becoming more of a grump in my old age. <laughs> but I mean, I, I do think honestly that there probably is something there. There is, I'm sure, something there. Uh, you know, a perception thing as far as age goes. I, I would imagine that the younger consumers. Um, are going to see this more as an attractive option mm-hmm. because I mean I think number one it does compete more on price I think price wise it's typically a more attractive offering true but it is going to give you sort of that feeling that that you're enmeshed in the culture or wherever you're going mm-hmm. whether it's San Francisco for the Super Bowl or whether it's Paris for a uh, you know Dan. wine and chateau tour right right um, I, I think that uh, you know the age thing probably does play into this a bit and I, and I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, also with Priceline focusing so much on the the business customer too, because um, you know any any chance you can define your market and really target a specific market, uh, you should take that opportunity. Enough room for everyone to play in the travel industry. Okay, uh, let's move on to Warren Buffett. News from Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, they just announced uh, their their stakes in a variety of different companies. Uh, we saw some old standbys like Wells Fargo, Deere and Co. But the uh, the big new news here is that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has added a new 26.5 million share stake in Kinder Morgan. Kinder Morgan, for those of you who don't know, it's the oil and gas pipelines company. Uh, that's about a 1.2 percent stake in Kinder Morgan. Uh, clearly, Warren Buffett or one of his lieutenants over at Berkshire Hathaway sees some value in Kinder Morgan and maybe the oil industry as a whole. What should we take away from this announcement? I sure. Suppose? I mean, I, so first and foremost, I would never look at something like this and just automatically leap to the assumption that, oh, well, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway are doing it, therefore so should I. Right. 
chances are it's probably a smart investment. I mean, chances are very good this is probably smart, but make sure you always do your own homework before you just jump in blindly. Because if you jump in blindly, then you generally have no recourse and you kind of get what you probably deserve. But Warren's doing it, shouldn't I? Warren's doing it, and maybe we should too. Um, you know, Kinder Morgan is is a business that we cover here at the Fool. It's a recommendation in a number of our services right. already. So we we have um, you know joined in on the fund, so to speak, with this one. And it's not been very fun so far for shareholders. I mean, Kinder Morgan has witnessed a very very difficult uh, past couple of years. I tend to think that this is a bit of a baby with the bathwater kind of a thing, though. Kinder Morgan is a it's a pipeline company that basically offers sort of a toll booth model and getting the energy from place to place to place. So it's a little bit less. Um, sort of, it should be in theory at least less uh, prone to the swings that come with volatility in the energy markets, like we've been seeing. Uh, with that said, I mean, Kinder Morgan was very well known for paying a pretty healthy dividend. Mm-hmm. We took a lot of questions on this um, back at the end of last year. And, you know, in December, uh, I remembered looking at this just after they'd cut their dividend. I think by 75% or something like that, um, in thinking that that was actually a smart move because they needed to make sure they had the financial resources to deal with whatever may be coming down the pipe, no pun intended. I think shares went up, actually, by the way, after they announced the dividend cut. They did, I believe. You don't see very often. Not very often. Clearly, people agree with you. Well, yeah, and I think the market, generally speaking, knows this is a pretty smart smart leadership team. And and whenever you want to, you know, whenever you have a a business that's going to be smart enough to try to just Short their balance sheet, make sure they're doing the right things to set the business up because we don't know how long you know this decline in energy is going to last. I mean, a lot of people thought it would be over by now. Uh, so, I mean, I think you know this is either Warren or one of his one of his guys making a bet on uh, Kinder Morgan or not a bet, an investment. Right. But um, well, it sounds like I think yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a smart move. It's hard yeah. to say what they what they actually paid for their shares, but right. it was at some point in the quarter. Yeah. And uh, generally speaking, I think you know that shares ought to ought to do well in time. Mm-hmm. And just to your point earlier, it, it, this kind of sounds like a Warren Buffett, a classic Warren Buffett pick. Smart uh, leadership team uh, pays a dividend. Uh, it's got that fee-based structure for its mm-hmm. business. I, this, I mean, again, we don't know who exactly within Berkshire Hathaway picked it, but I'm not surprised it's coming from Berkshire Hathaway. It seems like a solid business that, as you said, has just gotten thrown out with all the other oil companies out there. Uh, so, so maybe just a little bit of value play here from Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett and that team. Probably like so. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that any you, you figure that any of his lieutenants are going to invest sort of. The same way he does. They focus sure. on a lot of those same ideals, and and uh, you know, I mean, one of, one of the things that always prompts me whenever I see anything with Berkshire Hathaway, one of the things I, I tend to do just sort of default is looking to see if, if Markel had done anything because Markel, which is an insurance company that is much smaller than Berkshire Hathaway, but run very much the same way. Uh, another big foolish favorite of ours here, and so I went and checked their 13F, which is what shows their their holdings in, in equities, and it was interesting to see with Markel. Well, I think the Berkshire Hathaway Kinder Morgan investment is very interesting. I looked and Markel just filed their 13F as well. It was interesting to see that Markel just took positions this past quarter in Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. So those were new positions, right? And so I mean, you don't, you know, you don't see that. I think with this company a whole heck of a lot. And so to see those names in their portfolio. You know, indicate to me that you know Tom Gaynor. He's obviously another really very very well known and great investor, one that we've we've studied a lot and been able to talk to a lot. I was super encouraged to see those names. Um, you know, under Markel's um, 
you know, holdings in their portfolio because I mean that to me just says that number one, you know, they are looking at tech as an opportunity, and then number two, they're really looking towards the market leaders mm-hmm. as the ways to capitalize that uh, capitalize on that opportunity. And Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. I mean, those are they three are the of the market biggest. Leaders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was just kind of cool. So for you, Markel shareholders out there, uh, you know, feel pretty good that uh, those guys are keeping their eye on the ball. Something to keep in mind. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. let's ra- let's wrap up uh, real quick with a discussion of Alphabet, which just announced uh, that their uh, think tank, which is formerly known as Google Ideas, is going to be transformed into a tech incubator named Jigsaw. Now, this is a bit of a non-story. You know, we we're not going to talk too much about Alphabet here. I think we want to focus more on. Why Jigsaw? What a what a <laughs> dumb name! I'm sorry. I, I I I am not disparaging Alphabet or Google, and I should of course mention that Suzanne Fry is on our board of directors sure. here. She's also on the board over at Alphabet. Uh, I am simply saying that Google got it right with just the name Google. I don't search for things anymore. I don't ask Jeeves. I Google things. But when I go to you say Hangouts, Chris Hill made this point, there's not a non-awkward way to ask somebody to hang out with you. Hey, can you invite me to some Hangouts? Hey, you want to come over and hang out? It's just weird. And Jigsaw is one of those weird Google names. I don't get it. I don't like it. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is, aren't you going to feel like a real ass if Suzanne's the one who actually came up with the name? She's in the office today. (laughs) If she wants to talk to me about it, please come on down. I, you know, I appreciate you sticking sticking to your guns there. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, Jigsaw is. They explained it. You know, they see. I guess the the world is a bunch of puzzles, uh, pieces that they're trying to put together. And and I mean, I get that idea. So I mean, it's just. You know, perhaps they're in the market for a chief business name giver or something like that. Mark, you should submit your resume. Boom, there you LinkedIn go. LinkedIn or whatever you got to get there. Um, you know, it was I. So Eric Schmidt, the chairman, uh, wrote a post on Medium explaining what they were doing, and and it was uh, you know I read that earlier this morning. The mission is to use technology to tackle the toughest geopolitical challenges, from countering violent extremism mm-hmm. to thwarting online censorship to mm-hmm. mitigating the threats associated with digital attacks. So these are all things that obviously play. Right into number one, I think what Google generally does pretty well, mm. um, and and then number two, uh, addressing the fact that we have a, a very very large portion of the world out there that's yet to be connected to the internet, and when they do, as they become connected, while there's going to be plenty of opportunity there, I think there are also a lot of opportunities for some bad things to happen, and so hopefully this is a way for them to kind of. Um, See around that corner a little bit, and maybe try to work on on ways to prevent um, bad things from happening. I mean, it, you know, they they just recently broke out their um, other bets segment of the business this past quarter, so we do get a, get a better idea of sort of how that's going to work with them and what kind of money it brings in. Brings in a little on the revenue side, operates at a loss still. That'll probably function that way more or less for the foreseeable future. Hmm. Is kind of you know. That's sort of the idea behind it, right, but right. but my my guess is, I mean, this is another way that we'll get a little bit more granularity, a little bit more transparency in the things that they're doing. Um, generally speaking, I like what it stands for, and I and I I, I certainly um, hope this is something that they can they can be successful with because you know, and as you mentioned before, I mean, I have a couple of young daughters, and and you know, we're teaching them how to use the internet and and teaching them that for all of the opportunity that's out there, it can also be a very bad, scary place, right. and and so. Um, you know, learning learning to you know deal with that. I think we're going to have to come up with new and innovative ways to deal with that, and hopefully, um, you know, Jigsaw 
name notwithstanding is uh, is a way to do that. Couldn't even add an institute on the end of it, make it sound a little more official. Jigsaw Institute, it's better, right? See, I'm already there. <laughs> Hire me, Google. All right, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.